you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Around the NFL podcast is flawed, but redeemable. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined by a room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. I think that is spot on by Matt Money Smith. We are all flawed, as all humans are, but <laughs> redeemable. It's almost a like big somebody created a religion based around that sentiment. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, that's save, save that. that. Save that for the Theology Podcast, Wes. You're getting a little fired up with your religious hot takes lately. What's I going think, on with you? What's to say the least. I think What's flawed but redeemable the is the root of Christianity. I mean, What's cooking, though, with you right now? You Do you know the concept of original sin? I told you, we save these things. Oh, sorry. It's a theology <laughs> podcast. But I do notice something cooking behind the scenes with you lately. There's some type of, I wouldn't call it a crisis of faith, but there's something going on. Are you about to start your own religion? Are we headed down that road? Because that doesn't feel completely like impossible, does no, it? No, it does. I think Chris would be the last person who would want to start really? a religion. Greg is right. I have no answers, only questions. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, I have one question. What? What's up, Greg? Nothing, nothing. Mark, I just, I wish we had a camera on Mark's quizzical face throughout Mark this has process. been shaking his head and giving me evil looks. <laughs> I'm not giving you an evil look. I don't think you have only questions. You certainly seem to have answers. I do not have answers. <laughs> and I don't think you've ever given, heard me have an answer. All right, guys. This is why you save it for the theology podcast. That will never happen. The theology podcast would be a banger. We got to do it in the in the offseason. I will not One be time. in the room for it. One Neither time. will I. Uh, we'll get, uh, it seems a little hot. Anyway, here we go. This is the Around the NFL podcast, sponsored, of course, uh, by Mr. Flame and his economics class in The Hague, the Netherlands. Mr. F. Love that Mr. F. Uh, we have a big show coming up today. Uh, we will have our... Uh, Monday night recap. You're just trying to make it harder on Sydney, you know. Keep her on her toes. That's 
what I do. We will have uh, a lot of news to get to. Big news day. Big news. Today. And uh, we will um, take a look at Wes's latest banger, uh, your midseason all-pro team. Is that live on the site right now, Wes, or will it be live? Take me through the – It'll be live Wednesday afternoon. There you go. So this will serve as a sneak preview to – You can find that at NFL.com slash position rankings. Ooh, vanity URL. How do you like that, Mark? I think that's great. Deserves a vanity URL. He plugged. It's okay to plug, you know. Go your own way. Good Fleetwood Mac song. I knew Wes would jump in with that too. <laughs> we've, we've hung out too long together. We know uh, all of our moves. And then uh, TNF preview. We'll check out uh, 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 NFC matchup between the Falcons and Bucks before finally we uh, uh, get on the phone uh, with one of the satellite heroes. Uh, but before we do any of that, yes, let's go all the way back to the top and take a look at what happened on Monday night football. <laughs> Yes, these are special times in Chicago. The Cubs are still fighting for a World Series title, down three games to two as we tape this with another game uh, coming up tonight in Cleveland. And then there is the Bears, the Chicago football franchise, who at home knocked off the Minnesota Vikings 20-10 to 10 on Monday night. 20-10 uh, to 10 is the final score. It was really 23 uh, 20 to three until late in the game. The Bears dominated this one. Jay Cutler threw for 252 yards and a touchdown in his first game back from a thumb injury. Jordan Howard ran for a career high 153 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and Sam Bradford once again took a beating, sacked five times. The Vikings lose their second straight game. Um, Wes, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, what did you see in this game? Uh, on both sides. We saw a Vikings team that for the second week in a row could not protect Sam Bradford, could not give him time to go through his progressions, and it basically uh, sabotaged the entire offense. And I think the worrisome part, if you're a Vikings fan, not just the offensive line, but the, the defense might have buckled under the weight of carrying the offense. In Ooh. The I think that they – defense buckling. They miss – Andrew Sandejo at safety, which I would not have expected, but on that first huge run by Jordan Howard, the backup J. Ron Curse, who's a seventh-round rookie, was completely out of place, and that was just the start of it. I mean, there are obvious issues with the Vikings right now. I couldn't help. I, I, I was out trick-or-treating uh, with the kids last night, so didn't watch much of this live, but coming in today and rewatching it, I couldn't help but wonder, is this not similar to some of the issues that we saw earlier in the year with the Rams offense, where when you cannot run the ball at all, and on top of it, they have a much much worse protection system right now than the Rams do, you are a sitting duck on that side of the ball. You can't pass the ball, and it, what, what well, they made Bradford look decent early on is, is withered up. Well, they don't have a running game either. Their offensive line is bad run blocking. They don't have Jarek McKinnon in the lineup. Right now, I don't think the offense has changed much. I mean, it was the lowest scoring offense in the league when they were 5-0. and Just about literally, they had scored the fewest touchdowns of anyone in the league. The difference is they're not getting special teams play. And the, the offensive line play, which was bad all along, they're not hitting 
the couple plays that you do have a chance to make. I mean, Sam Bradford had an open Stefan Diggs early in the game. I don't think Bradford played poorly, but he had an open Stefan Diggs about three steps behind Tracy Porter early in the game. Wide up, maybe you hit that play. Maybe it's a different game. They need to play from ahead. It's a team with such a small margin for error. Right. To get dominated by, by the Bears is crazy. To say that the offense hasn't changed months, I, I, I think that's ridiculous. When you're talking about the last two defenses have had 26 quarterback hits, 11 sacks, 12 t- tackles they, lost. They led the league in, in sacks and hits given up in the first five well, weeks. With a few and it's gone, it's gone way worse over the last two games. I think that the offensive line is much worse than it was earlier. Uh, Jake Long has been a, a, an absolute mess. And I, I think that the but difference he's played that one I see, game. That's what I, that's the, what I the difference mean. that I see games. is that the the chemistry between Bradford and Stefan Diggs and Kyle Rudolph earlier in the year was not present last week and it's not present last night. That the the, the passing game is completely out of sync with the absolute absence of a run game. There's the question I'll ask here. Is this now the Vikings are five and zero, and now they're five and two? Is this a bump in the road for this team? Or are they this for this year's Falcons, the team that everyone got pumped up about? Uh, I think the Falcons were 6-0 and last year, and then they come crashing down to earth, and then you look at the end of the season, they have eight or nine wins. Is that Are we in the situation here where the, the Vikings can become that team? No. This, this I, Vikings defense, is up till the last couple weeks, was much better than anything the Atlanta Falcons were doing last year during a 6-0 and start that I think we saw through in this studio. I think the 6-2 and two Raiders have much more in common with last year's Falcons. Mm. I, I think the Vikings have shown too much toughness, too much talent, too much heart to really doubt. I'm not worried about them as the team of ATL at all. They're going to have some times like this. These two games are on the road. I think they have a home field advantage. I think they have to play a certain sort of way. When, I, when I'm saying the offense hasn't changed much, my, my point was just they were one of the worst offenses in the league throughout, one of the worst running games in the league throughout. The defense was the huge concern last night. I mean, Jay Cutler looked fantastic. He picked them apart. We haven't seen that kind of game from the defense from them at all. This was really just one game. I'm willing to flush that out. This is two, it's two. Two well, games for the offense. defense played unbelievable okay, in Philadelphia. The difference between their offense earlier in their season is it was relatively inefficient. Not making now it's, mistakes. Now it's inept. That's a huge difference. Inefficient versus inept. Well, and the difference for me is I, you know, Dowell Loggins, who gets you know cut to pieces in this podcast studio, put together a great game plan last night and counteracted any sort of blitz that you were going to get from Minnesota with quick strikes, shuttle passes, like little tips to Jordan Howard, getting the ball out quick. Cutler is certainly far from perfect, but they made the most of what was given to him last night, and the defense was as much of a concern as the offense I mean, was. We, we, I mean, we kill. By the way, pronunciation is Wallagans. Gotcha. Gotcha. Ah. Uh, but we get, nobody trashes the Bears more than this podcast. So for them to utterly outplay the Vikings here, and I guess, all right, maybe they're not going to collapse. All right. And by the way, I, I have to say, the ball was taken and run with a little bit by our audience. Uh, there were, I got, <laughs> I would say, 100 tweets last night. You did? Yeah, and I'm sure you did as I well. I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, the mute button was in full effect. As, as it should be, you know, everybody got to calm down a little bit. I did. I challenged the Bears to show up on Monday night. Uh, that didn't go over that well in the studio. But I am still rooting for the Vikings as the team of ATL here, even if I do think the Raiders are exciting and continue to be exciting while the Vikings are showing some issues here. But what, if, what about the idea here that the Vikings are like so many other teams in the NFL and not special in the sense that they're going to be good at home, 
They're going to probably go 6-2 and two or 7-1 and one at home and then play 500 or worse on the road and end up being just another team as opposed to how everyone saw them a few weeks ago, which was this could be a 12-win team, this could be a number one seed, that type of view. I think that's very fair, and it was notable to me, look at we all we the one thing we've established with the team of ATL it is very clear that four people in here see the team of ATL in unique different ways and and we struggled to all you maybe agree on the same level with the Vikings but how many people last night tweeting seemed to enjoy the failure of potentially the team of ATL and it 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 threw me back a little bit because i would say most of the people that we interact with i personally are wonderful, but the I don't people view just like drama. I, I don't like view drama. this through the same lens as some of these people that are killing me because this isn't an apparent Super Bowl team. And whatever the fragrant uh, memory of when a couple weeks ago we all got on board with this, they seem to enjoy the infighting aspect of it as to, as as well. And I'm not signing up for that. It's like I don't need this team to race to the NFC Championship. It's simply not important enough. One thing, but I've, they do they do need to play better though. I, if we, if I'm we not disagreeing with that, but yeah, but they're gonna have come on. Even you said they looked like maybe they could be a 12 and 14. Well, to do that, you got to lose four times. So they've lost a couple right. times. I think they were always a team that's going to have some big time dips. Like it wouldn't surprise me if they're sitting there at 10 and five and they have to gut out a win to win the division. And then you win a couple playoff games, but that's exciting in terms of a team that's without uh, Teddy Bridgewater, without Adrian Peterson. One of the things I've learned in the past decade of doing this is that NFL fans short for fanatics are prisoners of the moment. They have no ability to look at the past and provide perspective. They have no ability to look at the future and anticipate. Everything's an emergency in the present, and that's what the majority of our tweets are. Um, all right, so that's the Monday night game. Oh, by the way, I just – we, we got to at least say Jay Cutler, th- you know, three times a year he's going to show up – or once a year he's going to show up – Do we really a, have to say that? In prime time. <laughs> and play outstanding. He that's played, your boy. He played fantastic. So you just – then he gets everyone thinking I, he I, could do that again. It won't happen again. I heard they you downstairs him talking pick, about him winding up on the Jets, and you sounded quite excited about well, that. I, gonna, would, I wonder what I the Jets been, fan in the room is going to be the Jets quarterback. I just the only thing, Wes, you don't like him, and I understand why you don't like him. You think he's a flawed player and not a leader, and I totally get that. But we got to give him credit if he's making plays against the Vikings. He had one. He had I one fantastic game here to, that you watched last night. Yeah, I, I think you guys should go all in on Jay Cutler. <laughs> It's a good idea. Make him your MVP pick. It was a good game plan last night. <laughs> he played very well, and he does deserve credit for that. But uh, let's move Can't on. Can't wait till it's your fan base that turns against him after three games. <laughs> I certainly don't want Jay Cutler on my team. By the way, Alshon Jeffrey might be like the, the wide receiver version of Jay Cutler. You just get a bad bad vibe out of him, especially when he's getting hit in the helmet half the time. Well, that could be throw. tied to the fact that his quarterback <laughs> is Jay Cutler and Brian Hoyer. Free Alshon Jeffrey is what I say. Hey, why don't we do some news, Sid? After I told him I was going to eat his kids, he never said another word. <laughs> that was Derek Wolf, uh, the Broncos defensive end, uh, talking about Philip Rivers. I always thought that, like, talking about eating children or anything about the kids would be off limits. I figured, like, wife talk is probably off limits, and certainly kids talk would be off limits. You'd think so. But Derek Wolf threatening to eat Philip Rivers' uh, large collection of children. Uh, you know, I can get why that could ruin a relationship. That that would be a full meal, you know, <laughs> trying to eat all those kids. A lot of them. It's like a Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, our resident foodie chimes well, in. You, you the, looked uh, over you at know, me. The dish for some hot take on uh, kid eating. <laughs> You're my resident kid eating guy. 
I always look at look to you in times like these. Uh, let's start with a big trade in the AFC, and uh, ooh, it involves uh, ooh. We got to take a trip to the throne. What kind of trip? That <sighs> oh, seems nice. Oh no! Been waiting to air this one out again. Oh no! What is that? <gasps> oh. The Cleveland Browns. That's Jamie Collins' relevance right there. <laughs> wow. Dead. There we go, Greg. The Cleveland Browns make the first big move and only big move of the trade deadline week. Uh, they acquired Patriots star linebacker Jamie Collins uh, for a compensatory uh, draft pick. Uh, currently slated to be a third-round selection, according to Rap Sheet. Uh, the Browns later confirmed the trade. Uh, currently, the deal is for a 2018 Fourth round selection. Uh, so Jamie Collins, who is widely viewed as the best, if not one of the best players on the defensive side of the football on Patriot Way, shipped out of town uh, 10 cents on the dollar, Greg Rosenthal. You wrote up a winners and losers piece. Make sense of the deal here, Greg. Yeah, I, there is no making sense. It's inexplicable. I mean, you can listen to what Michael Lombardi, who was an assistant to the coaching staff, has said, which you can – basically take for what the Patriots view of this is that he hasn't been playing as hard, maybe not following assignments, but it's still inexplicable because he's making a lot of plays. He's one of, he's been a second team all pro last year and you decided we just don't want him. I mean, they basically decide we got to get this guy off our team. We don't care what we get back for him. That to me was the statement because a third round compensatory pick, it's not great. You you maybe would get that pick back uh, if he left in free agency anyways. I, I mean, walking around here, I talked with Daniel Jeremiah, talked with MJD and a few other people, and they basically, it comes down to money. I mean, the big chunk of this comes down to money. And I understand what Mike Lombardi was saying about the freelance thing, but the Brian Flores, the linebacker coach, went on record today. He is still with the team and was this player's coach, said, I wouldn't say freelancing was an issue. Jamie was a very good player for us. He made a lot of plays and helped us win a lot of ball games and went on well, and they're on They're not going to say they're All not right, going to say I mean, I mean, I, the thing is, whenever there's a trade that happens, it's the player out the door is going to get waxed by fans and people. And I, I still think that whether or not it was that Jamie Collins is a perfect player, if you look at where he is on Cleveland's lineup, he is immediately heads and tails, no questions asked, the best player on their defense right, so right the, away. All I'm For saying a is, third, compensatory third-round pick. Right. Uh, it's, it's a great deal for Cleveland. I mean, they get an exclusive negotiating window with him until February, and they can try to sign a, a really top-notch player. All I'm saying is it's surprising to me Bill Belichick – thought that they just had to get rid of him. He didn't just do it because they're not going to pay him next year. That's part of it. But you always, you often keep players that you're not going to pay next year because they're going to help you win this year. Patriots way is kind of a revolting phrase. It's a big <laughs> turnoff. But I think more than any coach in the league, Belichick has proven over the last two decades that if you're not getting with the program, exactly, if you have potential to be a disruption in the locker room, if you're going to upset the team factor – you're going to be gone, and this trade is the most surprising trade I've seen in the NFL since Randy Moss was traded at a similar point in the season. Yeah, the difference is Moss was getting towards the end of his career. Collins— He was, but it was shocking because he was still coming off, still what, productive. a 1,300-yard season or whatever. I mean, Collins is productive. Now, it sounds like I'm being critical. I think 
you know, I, I wrote this in the piece. I think there's a way that you can kind of have some faith, have some trust in what that Bill Belichick knows what he's doing and be totally confused by it. There's no really understanding him, but I think they there's no need to praise him, but there's also reason to think that he has his reasons and he probably more than not it's worked out for them. And that let list me, go ahead. Let me ask you this. Take the names out of the equation. Just look at the just look at the uniform and the guy making the plays. Who's played better over the last 3 weeks, Landon Roberts or Jamie Collins? The last 3 weeks probably Roberts. I think that's a factor. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, they had someone to plug in, and I think you're exactly right. Part of it, this is a this guy wants a big contract. They're already talking about him wanting to be paid twelve million plus a year in Cleveland, and Cleveland has a ton of cap space, and actually is you know they're forced to get to the cap floor, and they may be willing to pay certain players a lot of money, maybe more than other teams would. Bad teams have to do that. New England wouldn't budge. And if you look at the list that NFL Research put out yesterday of all the well-known household names that Belichick let go, all amazing players. You have an all-pro team right there, but he let them go at the right time. That's where the benefit of the doubt comes for Belichick. I I just don't think it has much to do with money, ultimately. I know there was his contract is up. It's part of it, but I agree. It's a small part of, obviously, because they probably weren't going to resign him, but Unless there was a real reason whether he was a cancer or, you know, the, the talk of him freelancing or they just did not think he was playing well enough, they made the decision to move him out in a year. And I know we joke about it on this podcast all the time. Still, 39-year-old quarterback, window wide open right. for a Super Bowl. You're going to get a, a third-round pick probably back anyway if you let him walk in free agency. There's, there's more to this story. I would love to hear it, but I just don't know if we ever will because where it's coming from. Michael Lombardi said it's a wake-up call to the locker room that he, even though this defense, the numbers look good, they faced pretty bad string of quarterbacks so far, and they have, they are, I think, 31st in pro, fo- pro football uh, outsiders pass rush rankings. Wow. Yeah, they, I've, I've been trying to say it's not a perfect team. They are third in points allowed, but I, I think when Lombardi speaks – He's talking to Belichick. He, he, I think they are trying to send a wake-up call that the way they're playing is not good enough. And to Lombardi's credit, he has been saying, I know you're rolling your eyes. No, I'm not. No, listen, just, I, listen, he said go for ahead six, with it. But I he mean, said for six or seven weeks that Collins and Hightower have been a disappointment. And and I, I'm listening to him say that, and I'm like, really? Because I, I think they're playing pretty well. Like, not that, on my antenna like, when he said that. Like, that surprises me. It, and that, that, is, that is a month before this trade that – that there was clearly some sort of internal displeasure about how hard he plays. That guess, was what Lombardi really I guess really what I think out. a little bit, whenever the Patriots trade, and again, I just said they've earned this benefit of the doubt, but had the Packers made this trade, it would be seen a little bit differently. You know, Cleveland is not right. getting, sort of Cleveland is not getting fleeced in these trades they've no, made. No, not at all. Because they also just got a fifth rounder for an bar- unproductive Barkevius Mingo player who they were going to cut. So in an end, you've gotten a fifth rounder and Jamie Collins yeah. from Collins? the Browns for Barkevius Mingo in a conditional third that would be a fourth if Alex Mack gets hurt or something. Has, that, has a single person said the, that it was a bad deal for the Browns? Everyone I think loves what it they're, the I agree, but it's a, it's a sense of the other shoe will drop and we'll find out that Jamie Collins is floating around the country on peyote or something. <laughs> it's like the, maybe the other shoe doesn't drop. Maybe it's a good player and they were moving on. Did you hear what we Hugh, need to move on, guys. Hugh Jackson said in response to the freelancing report? Yes. He said, okay, he can freelance for me then. Right, yeah. I mean, the, he does freelance. He's made a lot of big plays freelancing. So does Teddy Bruschi. So does a lot of good plays. Well, you go from a 14-2 and two defense to one of the worst in the league. You're not going to stand out the same way. It's going to take time. 
Uh, let's move on and talk about uh, Jamal Charles, the Chiefs running back, who has been a mysterious uh, presence on this team uh, this season. He has the knee injuries coming back from another ACL tear, have been worked back slowly. Spencer Ware had essentially taken his role, and now today we learn that Jamal Charles has been uh, sent to injured reserve, which will sideline him at least another eight weeks. And you could do the math that there's a good chance we've seen the last of Jamal Charles, uh, Greg, uh, Mark Sessler, both. Uh, this season, and uh, there's a good chance the last time we see him in Kansas City. Mark? Greg or Mark? Mark will go. How about you want me to start? <laughs> I've said your name twice. Be happy to, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's you know, Jamal Charles has not been a productive leading member of this offense since 2014, and they found out last year, number one, you win 11 games in a row without him, and your running game doesn't really skip a beat with Spencer Ware. And you've got a solid backup in Sharkhandrick West behind him. So, you know, at this point with the, with the whole situation with Jamal Charles, I mean, we talked about months ago, this should have been a trade candidate potentially for Kansas City, but he wasn't healthy, so it was hard to make that move. But he's not been in the picture for, for a long time now. It's not like he's the cornerstone, as Damashek would say, Jenga piece, as he was viewed back in 2012, maybe even 2013. Still a tough end uh, for if this is the last time we ever see him uh, with the Chiefs and uh, a guy that really in a lot of ways underrated, one of the best running backs of the 2010s uh, easily. Uh, what do you think? I mean, if this is the end of the, of the season, I think the Chiefs survive, like Mark's saying, uh, because they've been getting on just well without it. They're a good running team. What kind of value does Jamal Charles, will he have at 30 years old? Who knows if his his knee will ever be right? One more contract? Yeah, it's hard to say. You never know. He could come back. This injury, I think, gets to how tough it is when you have a franchise legend, I guess, for lack of a better word, that, that's injured and maybe in a secondary role. It, w- it was uncomfortable having Charles in that role. I, I, I don't think this will be the end for him. I mean, you talked about underrated. He is literally the all-time leader in yards per carry among running backs. He should almost pretty good. He should almost not play again just to get that because that that's a tough stat for a guy in, in 2016 to have. But it would hurt his Hall of Fame chances if he never plays again. And and running backs a, an unforgiving position in the NFL. There were we saw when Mark and I were growing up in the 80s. You had guys like William Andrews, Wilbert Montgomery, Kurt Warner, who were good like Jamal Charles for a five year window, and then knee injuries would end their career. Running back is so unforgiving. If Jamal Charles had stayed healthy his entire career, I think he's a no brainer Hall of Famer. He'll definitely get. He he'll be brought to another team over the off season if he ends up yeah. outside of Kansas City and crowed about. And crowned before the season even begins. We never as know. A he lead could feature back. He could be a Pro Bowler next year. He's only you never t- know. He's tw- he turns thirty in December, and I mean, honestly, the Chiefs also. He's only making three point seven five million next year. Uh, let's move on. A suspension to talk about here. The NFL announced a suspended uh, left tackle Trent Williams of the Redskins four games for violating the league's substance abuse policy. Uh, Williams had been previously suspended in 2012, and the timing here could not be worse for the Redskins, Greg, as as they're trying to make a playoff push here, and now they have to do it without their their top blindside protector. Yeah, I've been impressed with the Redskins' offense the last few weeks, but I I think they're not an offense. They're an offense that everything needs to be going right. I don't think they can just lose. Not that many teams could a top notch left tackle, and everything will just be fine. He's the best player on their offense. On their team. 
He's, he's is he a, he's a one of the best players in the league. He's, he's the number one tackle on the midseason All Pro team, and he's excellent in the running game and the passing game. When you watch the Redskins, I think this struck me even in September when Kirk Cousin was making mistakes. He's got all day to sit back there and go through his progressions. I mean, he, they put him at guard one game because they had so much injuries, and he dominated a guard. It's, yeah, this is it's a, a surprise. It's a, bi- it's a I mean, big this loss. This came out of nowhere. This isn't a guy that you would have thought this was going to happen to. Yeah, professionalism right here by, by the whole crew because this news came, came oh, up we're flying. during the podcast, just seamlessly integrated. We are absolutely flying. That might be a note to uh, tell each other after <laughs> in an email. Good job, guys. We've just, you know. <laughs> Telecast that to the entire audience. Let's uh, move on and uh, talk about the end of uh, a career for one of the greats. Andre Johnson uh, informed the Titans on Tuesday that he will retire, ending a 14-year career in the NFL, most of which his glory years spent in Houston with the Texans. Now 35 years old, uh, he had quiet stops both in Indianapolis and Tennessee. Uh, and now decides to step away. Uh, he ends his career with over 1,000 catches. I don't want to short him, 1,062, uh, 14,185 yards and 70 touchdowns. Chris Wessling, no playoff glory really to speak of, kind of was tucked away on some teams that aren't always on the radar. But is this a Hall of Fame player? I don't think there's any doubt. He passes the test for transcendent peak and longevity. And if you read Mark's excellent uh, recap of, of, of his retirement from the other day, Reggie Wayne is a contemporary of Andre Johnson's. And a lot of people put them in the same category. Reggie Wayne caught passes from Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. Here's who Andre Johnson caught passes from. David Carr, Tony Banks, Dave Ragone, Sage Rosenfeld, Dave Matt Dave Ragone! Is that Greg's dad? Yes. Uh, Dave Ragone could not have been in for too long. But TJ Yates, Case Keenum. <laughs> And Matt Schaub. I mean, Matt Schaub is by far. My varsity baseball team. (laughs) That was Greg Ragone. Sorry. So anyway, yeah. And this guy from 2004 to 2014 ranked first in the NFL in receptions and receiving yards with those guys throwing to him. Wow. And from 2007 to 2010 was right there with Larry Fitzgerald as the best receiver in the NFL. Charlie Casserly, who drafted him in 2003 on NFL Network, had no problem saying that he was a better player, ultimately, than Art Monk, who he was with in Washington. I don't think there's any doubt. And he compared him and said he was up there with Jerry Rice, that their circumstances were different. Now, that a lot of people would, just based on you know human experience and what you watched of those Niners teams, you'd have a hard time sitting with that one. But the idea that there's any debate that he'd be in the hall, look, you just put Andre Reid in. Yeah, I, that changes I, the Hall of Fame thing is wacky, but Andre Johnson should just be carried in there. Yeah, no the, problem. The, the last asked. the last two big years he had in Houston, that's what put him in. What hurt him was the quarterbacks, and then he had two seasons in his prime, cut in half uh, by injuries. And he would come back the next year, and he led the league in receiving twice in a row. He led the league in receptions. You know, he led the league in yards per game plenty of times. But he had those two seasons cut short in his prime. That didn't help. But he was a monster deep into his 30s. He was a top top two or three quarter, what top two or three wide receiver. And everyone talks about him as the most talented guy on that those University of Miami teams, which is wildly talented. He's also the best wildly. player in Texans history w- yeah. until J.J. Watt came along. And one last thing, like people people want to say, oh, Terrell Owens, who I also think should be in there, no questions asked, give me a break. But there's there's the, the person of Terrell Owens might be causing issues. Everyone that ever worked with 
Andre Johnson said, the hardest worker in the building, an absolute tutor to younger players. So I think that there's no argument against it. Read that quote from Gary Kubiak. Andre Johnson is as fine of a combination of man and football player as I've ever been around, says Gary Kubiak. Wow. Whoa. That's a shot at John Elway. I mean, that's how I read it. And <laughs> well, Peyton Manning. That is your stirring. Stirring the pot. Is as not there. <laughs> one wide receiver goes into retirement, another one comes out. Percy Harvin's back, folks. Uh, what a transition. I am in awe. That, see, that one, I would not save for the email after the show. I'm totally cool with you delivering. Well, there's no email after the show because we announce all these, uh, you know, laudits and awards <laughs> right here. Mark, I think you're doing a great job so far in this show. Thank Tremendous, you. Tremendous, buddy. <laughs> Feeling uh, better about it. Percy Harvin has signed a contract with the Buffalo Bills. The team announced this uh, on Tuesday. Uh, Rap Sheet reported that Buffalo will pay Harvin $1 million including incentives over the final eight games of the season, which seems like a lot for a broken-down wide receiver. Wow. Uh, but the pact reunites Harvin and the Bills just seven months after Harvin uh, told the team that he wanted to retire. And, Greg, this is a guy at his height, and this is starting to get a little fuzzy in my own memory right now. It's been a while. was an absolute transcendent-type talent, but now with hip injuries and all everything else, he's, just, he's not that guy anymore. Yeah, he's five years removed from his – best season and in three years, two or three years removed really from being a, a factor, but he's only 28 years old. The weird thing, 28 going on 36. The weird thing with this story to me is that it happened. Rap sheet reported because the bills called him, and they were basically, Hey, you know, you want to come out of retirement? And he's like, yeah. So like, if here's they a million dollars. Right. So if they didn't call him, what? he was, he wasn't going to do it. That so to me, that's concerning. He's just, yeah, I guess so. I'll come over. By my count, 15 months removed from being a factor. It's easy to forget now he was the Bills' best receiver in September of last season before the hip injuries came down again. Tyrod Taylor loved throwing to him deep. And may, and who knows? Who knows if he's in maybe, shape? Yeah, maybe. Let's say, let's say he is in shape, shape and he does that chemistry connects again. But here's the thing. If you make him an active uh, participant in your offense – we don't have any evidence that his body is going to hold up. So it really does seem to be like a bit of a Hail Mary move for the offense. Yeah, I mean, Re- they need it. Rex Ryan basically said, in quotes, we're looking to capture lightning in a bottle. And, you know, the, the one thing is uh, – it's, it's not it's, a good sign. No, it's, it's not. I mean, I think he's openly saying we need someone to come in and make plays. Sammy Watkins is still out until at least week 12. You know, Goodwin is coming off a concussion. Greg Salas, who's not really a huge factor, as a groin injury. But you're shorthanded a wide receiver. And the weird thing is he's retired, but they, they did talk like they've kept some sort of pulse on him over the last year to see where his health was. He says he's healthy. It wouldn't be crazy for him later in the year to make a few plays, but it's not going to happen. They're saying, oh, it's just in time for this rematch with Seattle. <laughs> I would be surprised if he has an impact in Seattle. Who knows? But- I have a bit of a Sessler here. Very quietly, about six weeks from now, we'll be doing a news item about his release. Or six days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a team that's the, the leader in snaps at wide receiver last week. Can anyone guess? Or even the top two. Anyone Justin guess? Hunter? Justin Hunter, number one. Wow. Guy who's been released by two different teams in the last month. And Walt Powell. Well, good old your, Walter your Powell. preseason oh. boy. Why stop here? Bring back Andre Reid. James Lofton. Don yeah. Beebe. Peerless Price. Stop bringing back bros. I bet Eric Moulds could still play. <laughs> Jeez. I loved Eric Moulds in his prime. I call this a dearth of death. Does dearth that pull death. your Hall of Fame jacket off if you're Andre Reid and you come back in for like a meaningless two-game stretch with the Rex Ryan Bills? That's like the fifth of Firth. Fifth of Firth. Depth of dearth. 
Depth of Dearth. It's on Douglas. Dearth of Depth. Dearth of Depth. Yeah. Dearth, Dearth of Dearth. Dearth. Okay. Something else that could fit in an email after the show. <laughs> Let's move on. The Arizona Cardinals continue, gentlemen, to have issues. Uh, their left tackle, uh, Jared Valdir, is uh, most likely out for the year uh, after suffering torn triceps tendon in his right arm, sent to uh, injured reserve. Did they send him to injured reserve? They did. They, did, they did. Okay, requires surgery. So there's a very good chance you've seen the last of their left tackle and also more injury issues uh, for the Honey Badger. Tyron Matthew uh, could be sidelined anywhere between three to six weeks with a shoulder injury. Uh, just uh, another uh, setback for the Cardinals. And I think, Wes, what we might have to do, we must call to order, gentlemen, an emer- emergency fork session. Stick a fork in them. It's the gavel. Bang it. We right. didn't even have time to have our coffee in Danish downstairs. No. It's just uh, this has come up. Or get a gavel. Or get a gavel. We're going to. Hey, Sydney, <laughs> can I get a gavel soon? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Screaming, jeez. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, here we go. Arizona Cardinals, the reason why we're calling this is because Chris Wessling privately approached me about the need to do so. So, Chris, make the case uh, why it is time to fork the Cardinals. Chickens have come home to roost. They are guilty of misevaluating their own talent. DJ Humphreys, they drafted him knowing he'd need a red shirt year. In my mind, he's been the worst right tackle in the NFL this year. He's been awful. Brandon Williams, they said all summer, their third-round rookie was going to be ready to step in at cornerback. Basically cost them the season opener versus the Patriots when he got burnt over and over again. They misevaluate their own talent. Jonathan Cooper, another first-round pick. Their offensive line is the biggest problem on the team right now. They whiffed on Jonathan Cooper. So far, they've whiffed on D.J. Humphreys. And the offensive line is holding the team hostage. They cannot compete because of that right side of the offensive line. And now their left tackle's gone, so the left side of the offensive line. Del is a killer loss for them because of what you said, because every team just knows, let's just send the blitzes. At Arizona, it's rare in the NFL you see a team have the same problem week after week after week after week, never solve it. People have been blitzing them for five weeks running, and they have no answers. Well, we just talked about the Vikings, and if your offensive line breaks down, you know, it's like everything is focused on skill position player X is out for two weeks, and your fantasy team is in trouble, find another skill position player. But when these lines, and we see it throughout the NFC West, crumble, this team, this is a team that just a couple months ago we were talking about as being up there with the Patriots and the Seahawks when it came to team building and how above and beyond they were every other club. Here we are on the first day of November, and we're forking them. If well, the Cardinals, are we? That hasn't happened I'm yet. just saying it's, it's, it's on, on the, the table. table if the Cardinals and Vikings met this week, I have no idea who would win the game. But the difference between the two is the Vikings jumped out to a 5-0 and start and can still get in the playoffs with a damaged offensive line. I don't think the Cardinals can my, my take here, Chris Wessling, I respect his football acumen and his cult of personality. But I, at the same time, I don't want to get... What does that even mean? Oh, his own personality? Yeah. The, the ability of Wessling to, to through, mm. through fiery speeches and knowledge, draw people in. Are it's, you calling me a what? demagogue? I, mean, I, I believe that Wes will start a cult one day. Well, it's it's, I have no interest in starting it's a cult. It's interesting don't because know that yet. If, if anyone was the leader of the Cardinals cult... On this podcast, 
I think Wes would well, own that. He that definitely was, was a big Cardinals fan. I love the Cardinals. I was working my way there, and I'm, Wes is not a woman scorned, but certainly Wes is probably very disappointed that the Cardinals season is going the way it is. Uh, now, if I try to look at it just, you know, through no filter, they're 3-4-1, and one, which is not great, but not end of the road. They have a bye week to get healthy a little bit right now, and then they get the 49ers at home. So put that in as a gimme. Four, four, and one. Then back-to-back bangers. And this is where, uh, if you want to, if you, if the fork's about getting ahead of things, you could say, okay, at Vikings, at Falcons. Mm-hmm. All right. And then if you don't think they're any good, they're four and six. But uh, where, where are we at on this? I mean, uh, do we really think that they're done, Greg? No, I don't. Because of what you talked about, team building and coaching. And some of the talent that's still on this team, a very good defense. I think they're probably better defensively this year so far overall than they were a year ago. That's certainly in the same ballpark. Right now, the the sixth seed in the NFC has three losses. You know, they're one, they're one loss behind that. And uh, I can see them scraping out some wins here. I'm not giving up on them. I am the biggest Cardinals fan in this podcast room. I used to be the biggest Colts fan. And when the Colts were a bad, bad team a couple years ago, I said for a month straight, the Colts are a bad, bad team. The Cardinals are a bad, bad team right now. And it's because of their offensive line, which is a hurdle, which they will not overcome this season. I vote and fork. I vote to fork the Cardinals. Mark, Mark, where do you come down on this? I mean, my one concern, just looking at the West, and I think that Seattle is a similar issue with their own offensive line, maybe to the same, not to the same degree, with the Veltier injury, but but very close, and they only have one more win than Arizona right now, and it's it's just early in the year. I I'm willing to do it because it's fun and it's adventurous, <laughs> and I don't really care if I'm wrong to be honest, and so I'll sign up and do it. But they're not the first team that I would pin for a total collapse from that, here on out. That might be Mark your greatest on the f- fence accomplishment ever, right there. The way you phrase. Well, that. because I want to go Very along honest. for the ride. I'm not going to stop it because I do think that Chris is correct. That I I've watched every Cardinals game myself, and this is a far cry from last year's team. Right. But I also uh, here's the other part. The whole league is a watered-down disaster outside of two or three teams. So what <laughs> says the Cardinals couldn't But listen beat? to our podcast. Well, no, but the, re- the Cardinals could win three or four games in unimpressive fashion right. against less impressive teams. It, 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 they it, could also lose to worse teams. Right. But what's, it, the point of, what's the point of waiting five it, weeks and forking and then? That's what I'm saying. If you're going to be right, let's do it. Right. It, it gets to the heart of what the fork is about. You know, are you totally predicting? Obviously, last year we got in trouble. We were wrong, wrong three times. Ultimately, if you push comes to shove, do I think the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs? No. I mean, well, then I think, that's, then I that's think they'll yes. win eight or nine, t- but eight the or nine fork games. The is when you know for a fact there's no chance that team can make the playoffs. That's I'm not forking them. I think the Cardinals have too many, too many things that could go right for them where things turn around. Chandler Jones is on your all-pro team. Marcus Golden, that defense could carry them. You know, I, I know the, the line. The defense so is better this year. They got the best the player all- in the league in David Johnson, one of them. The, the defense is better this year, and the, there will be several members of the Cardinals on the All-Pro team, but the offensive line is that bad. And yeah. it's in combination with a quarterback who doesn't move well in the pocket anymore, even though he did last year. You figure it out. I don't know. So, so you've got to see the, the Cardinals looking at the rest of their schedule, losing three or four or five games that we absolutely would not expect. I mean, today at we might. At this point, I don't expect them to beat right. any teams. They, they have the 49ers, but other than that, I don't think every other team than they a, play is is about this at their level. I think the Redskins are better than the Cardinals right now. Yeah. I, I see them as an 
well, they have that tie. So I, I could see them as the eight, seven, and one, nine, six, and one type team. I could see them at six, whatever the math. And we're six, nine, and one. And we're we're not giving the the Kangle a chance to work himself out of this. We love that coach. I we, I love him. But he's he, part of the misevaluation process on DJ Humphreys and Brandon Williams. He was the one telling everyone in August Brandon Williams is going to be one of the best rookies in the league. We don't need a veteran cornerback. Something's just not right with this. I was honking game. about the the corner. I mean, it's. You're right. The mojo, the the I think it's like they were so confident that when they got kind of a little like the Panthers when they got smacked around a little bit, they were like, "Wait, what a second? Well, we're not as good as we thought." To be clear, I'm not saying Bruce Arians and Steve Kime are doing a bad job. They have resurrected that franchise with the help of Michael Bidwell, but that they did a bad job this year in evaluating their own talent. And um, as anyone that listens to this show knows, you need a um, unanimous vote to uh, fork a team. Uh, politically, I didn't even cast a vote, but there was already one on Greg's side saying no, so there will be no you forking are, today. You've already done well in this exercise by saving the Dolphins, who will now Save look like fins. they got a chance. Saving those fins. <laughs> Come fair. on, Hank. I'm with you, baby. All right, let's move on. And now a word from our sponsor. Tired of your ho-hum daily existence? Bored with the same tired cast of people populating your waking hours? Dreaming of seeing new lands, trying new foods, or maybe turning your out-of-shape adult body into a glistening human weapon? Maybe you feel ignored and passed over like Gustav Cassell, the Swedish engineer-turned-economist who outright rejected the theory of marginal utility as a quick fix to the question of value. Or perhaps you identify with mystery man-slash-economist Frederick August von Hayek, who tirelessly pursued Illuminati-esque connections between business cycles, capital thought, and monetary theory. True students of world economy know that August von Hayek also led a double life as a dogged disciple of Herbert Illig, the German historian who made waves in the 1980s with his theory that a 300-year period of human history from 614 to 911 AD simply never existed. Pointing to sparse archaeological records from that 300-year time period, Herbert Illig's phantom time hypothesis presupposes that all documents from this three-century time period have been forged by today's archaeologists, meaning we actually live in the year 1708. Sign up for Mr. Flame's economics class in The Hague, the Netherlands, today, www.flameclass.com. Again, I don't know. I don't know who signs off on the content. I I would love to know who writes that copy. Get sent to us. The connection, the connection to the economics class, and what year this actually is. And I won't say year of our Lord because I don't want Wes to get all excited. I don't really have a Lord. (laughs) Save for the theology podcast. I set you up. Year of your Lord. Right. Right. I think Lord is a weird name to be throwing around. I mean. I'm telling you, this guy's going to start his own brand. <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard stuff. Chris Wessling. That is my. What is weird what? that he Lock it Hubbard's up. a quack. Lock it up. L. Ron Hubbard's That's a quack. Quest is the new Scientology. It's coming. <laughs> no, it's not. Scientology, don't get me started on that. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Chris Wessling, a man or a god? Who knows? We'll find it's out. It's about me. The Chris Wessling. <laughs> I don't believe in gods, Dan. <laughs> All pro. Mid-season team, and yes, as Wes said, a banger coming up on Wednesday on the uh, the old NFL.com site. Uh, Wes, you put this together. Tell me how you put together this team. 
Uh, not by stats. It's all by what I see on film. And I know a lot of people are going to argue with a guy say, like, Cole Beasley is my slot receiver. Look at that. Why is he my slot receiver over Jarvis Landry? Oh, he's been better. I Cole agree. Beasley has been the number one receiver on the Dallas Cowboys and an absolute chain-moving machine. So that's why. It's all based on film. Let me go down the list here. And uh, we'll start at the QB, QB position. Um, I don't think a lot of people will be stunned by this, but in general, again, it just shows how funny football is. You never know. Uh, to find out, if you were to told, tell this group back in August that Matt Ryan would be Wes's all-pro quarterback, no one would, uh, would have guessed that. But here he is, Wes, number one. The ultimate team sport. You can't extract the quarterback from his surrounding talent. Last year, we tried to do that. We tried to throw Matt Ryan under the bus and say he wasn't as good as players like Andy Dalton. He just wasn't as good of a quarterback, and maybe it was time to admit that Matt Ryan's not a franchise quarterback. And I think that thinking was wrong all along. He did All he had was Julio Jones last year. Now he has – there are 10 guys that Kyle Shanahan is calling plays for and using their specific talents in that offense. And to Matt Ryan's credit, he's dialing them up with more accuracy and a better deep ball this year. Anybody think there should be a different quarterback here? Well, the only – Matt Ryan makes perfect sense, and it's the one offseason narrative that I would be more willing to look at going forward is that a second year with a good coordinator can mean a lot for your entire offense. Cause we did mention that maybe there'll be an uptick in an offense that wasn't very effective down the stretch last year, totally the opposite. But if we go four weeks from now, would Tom Brady be the choice? I mean, what does Tom Brady need to do outside of the fact that he missed the games? Well, it's going to be an interesting discussion when the MVP race shapes up at the end of the season, do associated press voters, Vote for Tom Brady. Let's say he doesn't stay at this pace because if he stays at this pace, it's almost like he gives you no choice. But let's say he's a li- he's, he has a better season than Matt Ryan. How much do you knock him for missing 25% of the season? I remember this came up when Vic and Brady were the two options late in 2010. Vic ended up finishing the season poorly. What about Odo Beckham missing? And I thought that was ridiculous. I thought, of course you give it to Brady. you got to lap the field if the other guy misses 25% of the Games. Well, so I, I think, think there's the a big, to Ryan. There's a big difference between 50% and 25%. Yeah, I agree. I have a problem giving it to Tom Brady when he's played four of eight games. Yes. I won't have a problem giving it to him if he maintains something close to what he's doing now over 12 of 16 games. But if, if Ryan, for instance, stays at this level and, you know, Brady comes down a, a little Ryan's bit, then even, you got to give him some credit for playing four extra games and playing at an unbelievable level. Matt Ryan's not even number one in your QB index. No, Tom Brady is. That's what oh, I'm that's saying. A, that's a mysterious well, thing. I like- do that by average game. I mean, I do have a system for that. I do that by whoever has the average game score. He's got the highest one. Greg, uh, when you look at uh, Wes's all-pro list here, uh, what, I like it. What surprises you? Anybody that surprises you to see them on this? Uh, well, knowing Wes, he's got certain guys he likes, so – there's not a lot to argue with. Well, I wish there was. No, no, I'm saying like Marcus <laughs> Marcus Peters, I do not agree with. But it doesn't surprise me because I think Wes, you know, loves Marcus Peters. He's a great player, so it's, it's not an offensive pick. But I think you could have gone with some other cornerbacks over Marcus Peters. You could, yes. I, I think pro football focus and Greg Rosenthal don't put enough credit into interceptions and passes defensed, and I do. Ooh, Kitty likes to scratch. <laughs> 
I'm just saying, look, a lot of people like to no, it's a lot of people value different things differently. No, I agree. Pro Football Focus also values garbage time passing numbers the same way they do with the game on the line. Right. He gives up a few big plays. He doesn't travel. Not that that's a big deal. It's a small thing. I think it's just if, comparing him to other great players like Richard Sherman, who I think is having a great year. I uh, think Richard Sherman has been burned relentlessly the past few weeks, and Marcus Peters has not. And if you look at their opposing passer rating numbers, Marcus Peters is right near the top. And uh, perhaps Fletcher Cox is a surprise to me. Don't think it's really. His, I mean, just not that he. I don't think it's been his single best year. I would put Sue in there, for mm. instance. You have Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox on your list, um, and perhaps history repeat, will repeat itself here. That would be nice. The Patriots decided that Chandler Jones is a problem. They shipped him uh, to Arizona. And, Wes, he's been exactly what the Cardinals wanted to be in what's been a tough season in Arizona. No problems with Chandler Jones. It's not just the sacks. Last year at this time, I believe he had nine sacks for the Patriots, and he's playing better with five sacks for the Cardinals. He's in the backfield all the time. He's playing the run well, and he's an every-down player, something he wasn't always in New England. I thought in that Seattle game – Oh, he On was national te- television. He couldn't have been better. Uh, Luke Keekley, I mean, that defense has been semi-disastrous. He's not the culprit. I, Bobby Wagner, I think, has been the best inside linebacker in football. Luke Keekley's been what he always is, and I feel bad leaving Zach Brown off the list. But Keekley's been and, awesome. Keekley and Wagner are. I think both future Hall of Famers in the prime of their career. It's great. Brandon Graham, by the way, is your starting defensive end. What a season for him. I love that. I mean, I love this list overall. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised, but it's crazy to think that the, the Cardinals have three players on your defensive first team all pro. And I could have those Patrick Peterson None on of there. those are Patrick Peterson. Calais Campbell, Jones, and Tony Jefferson, uh, which all you know makes sense to me. I would go Melvin Ingram at outside linebacker. K.J. Wright's having a really good season. It's tough for those guys to make all Earl pros. Thomas, too. Um, before we move on, Wes, if you could start a franchise with one player on mm. this list, who would it be? It's an interesting question because I don't think Matt Ryan is a guy I want to start a franchise with. It would probably be Aaron Donald. How about old Gronker? I might go Von Miller. I might go Tyreek Hill, who made uh, the list as your kick returner. I like what you did there. You're giving him some credit for everything he does as a return man, too, he gets in there. That's what Tyler Lockett did. It wasn't really a close second. Tyreek Hill was easily the kick returner on my list. And because people love to talk about wide receivers, I'll just let everybody know. A.J. Green and Julio Jones um, were the names you went with. Who was third place in this conversation? That's a good question. Let me check my notes. How about this while he checks his notes? The first time I like to give Baltimore Ravens credit in about 19, 20 months, but you went and got Eric Weddle. 19, Weddell. 20 years. Uh, correct, 19, yeah. 20 years. Uh, Eric Weddle, I mean, has played amazing. And the Chargers, there's this stalemate last year where, you know, we don't want him back. He's, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's aging. And the Ravens have done this with Steve Smith, too. They do a nice job of scouting pro players that other teams are ready to cast off. I think the Ravens' disappointing offense has overshadowed what's been a very good defense. And Greg has mentioned their safety duo of Weddle and Ladarius Webb. Weddle has played much better than Webb, and he has absolutely shut down tight ends this year. All right, who is it, Wes? Your third wide receiver. Lara Antonio Brown. Oh, yeah. Oh, makes sense. Mm. He's a good player. A lot of people are going to um, Amari Cooper's up there, too. If it weren't Antonio Brown, you'd be hearing from some people. No Tyron Smith, I just noticed. What about your boy uh, OD, uh, ODB, I should say? ODB, uh, whether you want to blame it on him for his shenanigans or Eli not getting the ball or the offense not drawing up the plays, it's been too inconsistent for an all-pro team. All right, Wes's midseason all-pro team. You can read about it on WednesdayNFL.com slash 
position rankings. Position rankings. Let's move on quickly and talk about Thursday night football. Mark, you're going to make one of these basket shots again eventually. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hold your well. breath. Mark is crumpling up the paper after he's done with it. He's got a lot of. Well, notes. by the way, I will say notes. this: after the show is over, I will go pick that up and put <laughs> these multiple pieces of paper up. We are the only show that I can detect. That comes in here and doesn't leave the place an absolute mess. Yeah, we we respect uh, we respect our neighbors. All right, TNF preview because we're completists. We preview every game, even bad Thursday night games. I think the coverage, by the way, switches over now uh, from uh, Feel and GM uh, over to the other side. Right? I do to, believe uh, uh, it's an NBC. Which, uh, that is correct. They, they sent it off. It's Alabama. on NFL Network, though. They sent it off to NBC last year in one of those. It last week in one of those extremely phony moments where <laughs> one network acts like the other network. It couldn't just be better friends. Everyone is just so tight. There's so much respect, and it was yeah. an extremely false moment. Well, you know what? I like Alan Christo, so I'm happy that we're going to get more games with him. That's that's true. Affect the prep level for Sunday, but that's not our problem. Yeah. Couldn't have Tariko. I mean, come on. Exactly. Give I mean, me what a are break. we doing? Come back to us. Anyway, here we go. Thursday night football. Atlanta Falcons five and three. Oh, they're riding high after that thirty-three thirty-two win over the Green Bay Packers. Uh, that included Matt Ryan's beautifully led final drive in the fourth quarter. Uh, now they travel to Tampa to face the Buccaneers. Uh, the Bucks did the what was nearly you know the impossible last week. <laughs> they lost to a team that committed twenty-three penalties. Uh, given that type of advantage, and, uh, you would think any team would win, but the Bucks find a way. They lost 30-24 in overtime. Uh, and here we go, Greg, because the Falcons' superior team here. But you got that Thursday night advantage that those home teams have with the color rush and everything. Ooh, color rush <laughs> with the Bucks uniforms. Could it get in? How worse? is that playing out? Who's wearing what? Do we Who even know? Knows? We haven't seen it yet. This Bucks team played a terrific game in the Georgia Dome in week one and got me thinking, this is going to be a fun team. That team has not been around really since week one. Atlanta's completely turned their season around. This is a mismatch. Bucks are the one of the worst five teams, I would say, in the entire NFL right now. And Jameis Winston, it doesn't help him that he has a bad backfield. He's thrown to some lame weapons, but he misses too many throws. If he had hit about one of about four or five open deep throws last game that he had, they win that game. If he doesn't miss a pretty routine dump off in overtime, they might get into field goal range. So I'll make those plays, dog. He he's been a little part of the problem, but the bigger problem is it's a, it's just a bad team. The Bucks are the only bad team the Falcons have played yet. Their medal has been tested by the Raiders, the Saints, the Panthers, Broncos, Seahawks, Chargers, and Packers. And I think they've stood up and proven they're as legit as any team in the NFL. You might not put them up there with the Patriots in your power rankings, but they've been tested, and I think they've come through with flying colors. You quibble with their defense, but it's improving. It is. I like Adrian Claiborne's playing well. Keanu Neal is playing well. Vic Beasley. As a group, it's not quite adding up. They're still giving up way too many yards and points, but you can see it coming together. Well, and Dan Quinn was brought there to revive the defense, number one, and he's done – you see etchings of it. You see hints of it already where that's not happened with the other former – They're faster Jag- and more physical. Right, and you haven't seen that with the other former Jaguars defensive coordinator – or the Jaguars – you know, sorry, give me a break. The Jaguars head coach who was in with Seattle before. I point to the other side of the ball too where we just talked about – 
the Cardinals potentially getting forked. And we talked about the Seahawks also in the NFC West struggling with their offensive line and bringing in Alex Mack, having him play alongside Andy Levitre. That entire offensive line has been solid from end to end this season. And that's where it starts. I don't know how you slow down this offense. We've seen them score points against everyone week after week. And now you've got a legitimate bad defense. I don't care if it's in Tampa Bay, which may be the only factor here. Traveling for Thursday night creates weird scenarios. Maybe it has some effect, but Atlanta works out of these funks. They played on the road in Seattle. It doesn't matter where they go. And they, they have confidence. You know, Dan Quinn, after that failed fourth down the week before, he, he goes for a fourth down like early against Green Bay. Like, he goes for a third straight run on the goal line after you get stuffed two times. I got a fantasy tip in this game. Whoa. Teron Ward, this thing's going to be such a big blow. Teron Ward looking pretty good for the Falcons. He's going to come in late. They'll get some touchdowns. Like Who do you take him there. out of your lineup? Who do you take out of your lineup to put this guy in? Well, my lineup. Some flex. Yeah. Some flex it out. You know. Uh, if you're loaded, maybe not. I will uh, – one prediction I have for this game. File it under so we continue to miss shots. Um, the football gods keep you on your toes game. Everything makes sense for the Falcons to win, but this will be a game in the fourth quarter. I got a bit of a Sessler in that one as well. Well, so this, these Sesslers, as you play the music, Sydney, have been wrong since about 2013. <laughs> but – it, weird Show stu- your work. Weird stuff happens on TNF. That is, there is no question about it. You, it was Dirk Cotter was talking about it today, and he sounded as he was discussing this game with disdain for a number of reasons. But the whole thing is just trying to get people healthy in time. You can't get your players back on the field. You lose three days, and weird, crazy stuff happens on these games. Why many of them are unwatchable, and some are some mildly watchable at best. We're gonna look back in ten years and and say. Wait, what? Dirk Cutter was a was a head coach. Remember that? You don't think this? Uh, you don't the, think it's gonna take? No. I don't so think, this is not good. All right. Shiano lasts what two years? Lovey Smith lasts two years. Cutter lasts two years. And, and what's the difference right. between all these teams? Th- thank you. That's what Cleveland did. You want to switch your coach every two seasons? See how that works for you. All right. Let's move on. Before we go, we promised a call from a satellite hero, and on the line right now from his oh, and it's fitting right around the holiday uh, Halloween season. Live from his haunted mansion in New Jersey, Connor Orr. You kidding me? What's up, buddy? Hello, ladies. (laughs) Uh, Connor, welcome back to the Around the NFL podcast. Right off the bat, um, I want to say, yes, Halloween here in the U.S. was last night. And I saw on Facebook you did the, the gangster move of buying full candy bars and handing those out. Uh, what was the motivation there, just to be the, the the baddest ass on your block? Yeah, I mean, this was, you know, a tight-knit community. We, you know, first year in the neighborhood, first Halloween there. No one really has a read on me. All of a sudden, it's like, suck it, you know? Try yeah. to handle this candy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that was always the holy grail on Halloween is if you got to the house that handed out full candy bars. So I've never met anyone to do it, so just to be talking to you right now, Connor, is kind uh, of an honor right now. But I want to – we got to touch on – would you mind if we just kind of touch on a few different things with you today because it's always good to catch up with uh, Connor Orr. Yeah, let's light this candle, whatever you got. <laughs> All right, let's start with the power poll we released, and if you can check it out, if you check it out on NFL.com, our uh, mid-season power poll. Uh, you, of course, last time we did this exercise, the quarter-season power poll. Uh, you were all over the map, including the Carolina Panthers, which I believe you had buried somewhere in the mid to late twenties, which upset a lot of people, and uh, turned out 
the Panthers had more losing to do after that. Now you look and you looked really good. Now after one win in the midseason power poll, you all you have them all the way back into the top ten at number nine. Explain yourself. <laughs> uh, we're gonna keep pounding, Danny. That's what we're gonna do. Uh, so after the secret meeting that Cam had with the commissioner, you know, it's all about we're trying to keep pounding. You're not letting us, and now, you know, it's it's all gonna change. We're reversing, and they're gonna let people not even touch Cam, and he's gonna run for 200 yards a game. This team's going to go back to the playoffs, and they're going to say, who the media who the media <laughs> believed us? Well, this guy right here. I predicted your demise, yeah, you and I predicted your rise. So, you got right him both. Here. You got him on both sides. So you're saying, Connor, that this meeting with Roger Goodell, which we don't even know if it's actually going to happen or has happened. Oh, it happened. If it, ha- it happened. Rivera talked to Goodell. I mean, they're not – okay. he, Goodell's not flying down to Charlotte. Hey, Connor just confirmed that it happened. This is going, this is going to launch the Panthers back to the promised land. Very interesting stuff. You also have – uh, I'll just share your top. First, I'll share our overall uh, group. It is the average of all of the uh, around the NFL writers. We have Patriots, Cowboys, Seahawks, Seahawks Broncos, and Steelers, our top five. Uh, Connor's top five has the Cowboys at five, the Seahawks at four, the Steelers at three, the Patriots at two, and ladies and gentlemen, the team of ATL runner-up, Oakland Raiders, the number one team in football. <laughs> Explain yourself. Yeah, Jackie Del Rio, baby. Come on. Blackjack. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you give up 200 penalty yards to, to the Buccaneers and you still smoke them in overtime, and then <laughs> afterwards em. they say, are you concerned about your team's penalties? And he says, I don't care. This is Let's, let's just keep rolling. I love it, man. Blackjack. I mean, this, Connor, is, uh, this is where I'm going. Have you over the – you know, since you did your quarter – have you had a chance to watch football or are you uh is this just you're throwing darts here no i mean i feel like i've watched football in a deeper way than po- possible i guess for a lot of other analysts and so i explained sort of my methodology tomorrow i i got the um i got the go-ahead to actually write the power poll post so i mean if anyone's interested in really learning some stuff about the business, uh, you know, it, it'll be a good read for everyone tomorrow. No, no one else had the Raiders in the top six, and uh, and you had them number one. Are you concerned, you know, that their games tend to come down to some almost fluky ending, like them getting a penalty on a failed fourth down at the end of regulation last week? Well, if I think if I, if I was concerned, I wouldn't make them the number one team in football. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're going all the way here. Uh, here, Greg. I mean, this is uh, this is Blackjack, Amari, Khalil. Yeah, this is the this is my team right now. How about uh, how about kind of the critics out there that say that you putting out these type of lists every month, every uh, month or so, really speaks to you attempting to be something of an agent of chaos with our uh, rankings rather than someone giving real football takes. How do you how do you respond to that criticism? Well, you know, I think that there are a lot of people who don't know what they're talking about, and it's hard to kind of individually correct everyone that isn't as knowledgeable as me but um you know i think the important thing is what i'm really doing is i'm adjusting the poll to fit what how i view the nfl and so now that i've sort of thrown everything off every team sort of comes into where i thought they would land so it's about you i'm oh it's all about me yeah why else would i it's about me Well, let me ask you a hypothetical. Let's say we did this exercise again next week. Would the Raiders be in your top ten? <laughs> Win or lose? If if they beat the if they beat the Broncos, I got to find a higher number than number one. You know, we, we got to just forget the power pole. Just hand them the Super Bowl. That's that's what I would do. 
I mean, with the with the Panthers, he put them down so low, and we all questioned him, and then it became true. So maybe he's seen things, you know, roughly at most a week ahead of us. Yeah, I, I kind of am with him that the Panthers are going to go on a run here. Maybe Con- Connor's the one to follow. I'm um, going to tick down the list a little bit more here. Niall Davis, uh, one of your Madden standouts. You built an entire strip mall that bankrupt a small town in his honor <laughs> in your Madden football uh, video game. Uh, now closer to you, your haunted mansion. He's signed with the Jets after being cut by the Packers. Any time, any chance you guys meet up for lunch? Yeah, I mean, I talked to him. You know, I think uh, we might go get See, now some, he's just some famous race pizza. You know, and <laughs> uh, and just kind of talk about uh, talk about the Nile Miles. See what he's thinking in terms of you know maybe coming back to Portland. You know, the Packers. What are you doing? You have this guy on on the bench, and you're handing it off to some. You know, to some big guy from Oklahoma, it's like it'll let Mile run with it. You know, that's why you brought him in there. Uh, how about a, a quick update on horrible movies? I was curious. Last summer, we uh, introduced a new segment on the Around the NFL podcast in which uh, Connor takes a look at the top 100 AFI movie list of all time and his his goal to watch every movie and give them a review. Where are you at right now? Is that still something that's happening? I saw uh, the last. Two days saw some excellent films that were left off the list. On Halloween, I went with the thriller Hush, where a deaf woman is stalked in her own home by a uh, by a murderer. So that was that was that was amazing. And then uh, I saw that. By the way, my wife and I we were looking for kind of fun Halloween movies over the weekend, and I went through the horror section of Netflix. And when I saw that, it did strike me as quite funny. And then I saw the one-star rating, and I said, well, I'm going to probably mm. stay away from that. Well, you know, one-star, like, power rankings are subjective, and I think that some people kind of understand things on a different level. And I was really trying to feel what the director was feeling when I watched that, and, and it felt right to me. Um, all right. So before we let you go, Connor, I, I was thinking, because that segment's just not going to take off. If you're watching – uh, deaf. That's your opinion. Deaf. What's the name of it? Hush. 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 If you're watching Hush, that means you're never going to get to any of the top 100. I, I know that's not on the AFI top 100. Swim fan, definitely not on the top 100. Oh yeah. Did you have th- uh, thoughts on swim fan? Are you. I. You said that earlier on our. Uh, excuse me. Our IM client. Yeah, I, I crushed that movie. I mean, what <laughs> what a thriller from beginning to end. Really like. You know, early 2000s, you know, you're getting sort of the instant message internet component in there, uh, you know, cell phones, video, and just, you know, an amazing sort of uh, roller coaster ride from start to finish. Another one that I really think uh, deserves some recognition by the Academy. That one, yeah, also missed the top 100. So before you go, we, you know, we always like to talk about what's the next segment or general ideas for your career. I think your last name gives, gives you so many uh, different avenues to chase as you try to figure out uh, where you want to take your life in these next 30 or so years of your working life, right? Um, so here we go. You ready? I got some TV show ideas. You let me know yay or nay. Okay. All right. This one, first one, it would be on, like, let's say, I don't know, what's like a uh, ID discovery, something like that? Orson. Actually, no, with a question mark. Orson? It's a true crime series where you decide if fires are crimes or accidental. What do you think? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Uh, Got to cash yeah, in on that I, true crime. So it's like a double entendre for Orson Welles and Arson? No, it's Triple just, entendre because you get Connor Orr's name in there. 
Well, I don't know where Orson Welles isn't really involved with it. It's more well, he's the greatest director of all time, right? Right. This is different, though. Oh. This is not connected to movies at all. Oh. This is just a series, a true crime series. We want to plug in on that true crime genre, which is huge right now. Uh, how about this uh, one, Connor? Yeah, I was going to say, let's see what else you got. Yeah, okay. This, <laughs> this show, this next one would be on TLC or a network like that. Uh, Orphanage. Uh, you and your wife open the door of your home to underprivileged kids in the suburban New Jersey area. It's got legs. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if we'd ever get the clearance for that, but I, I'm, I'm totally on board. You got the candy cachet. <laughs> All right, that how- generally not a good thing as far as the authorities concerned. All right, how about this one? This one would be on like ESPN, ESPN2 early in the morning. Uh, you know how they have those hunting shows that there's no way anybody's watching it? Figure, mm-hmm. why not throw another one in the ring? This would be a show about uh, the best ores. People bring in different ores, and you choose what's the superior model. It would be called ore, ore, ore. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like an antiques roadshow meets meets boating kind of thing. Kind of, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Where you yeah. just, I just like putting you in different scenarios. You like um, that one? Yeah, I mean, you know, you could you could go with that. You could go with uh, order in the court, you know, where I kind of take a look at the central, or, you know. Court the, TV, uh, perfect. The, the justice system or uh, maybe the barometer where I take your temperature. <laughs> barometer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last one, this one I'm just workshopping a little bit. Um, but I wanted something for that young male demographic. And I'm kind of <laughs> trying to cash in on that bad grandpa thing where you just kind of go into everyday settings and cause hell. Yeah, that was hugely successful. Yeah, put you in heavy prosthetics. <laughs> a little bit of a ripoff of Jackass, but here we go. Or in Hatch, where we put you in old person makeup, <laughs> and then you just go places and you, you, you portray the, uh, the longtime U.S. senator and you cause hell in your hometown. And we have it all on camera. I... Uh... I never thought I would fall in love with an idea like instantly, but this—that's it. I mean, I—I I don't think I, we got it. You know, we can touch up mm. some of the details in post. Yeah. but I mean, that's that's it. You know, we need a title like "Where's yeah. Orrin Hatch?" Maybe you that might is. need to you might need to check with the office of Orrin Hatch, <laughs> see what they think. That's fertile ground. Still have an office. Well, what Connor had promised that the only way he would get on this show today was that he was going to do it from his house uh, without clothing on. Are you wearing clothing? Oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. I uh, I well, fell asleep maybe that's and good. then yeah, it's for the best. I fell asleep after work and then I figured the phone call would wake me up. So Breaking news: Connor, we're all nude right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna have to check out Periscope. <laughs> um, all right, Connor, I think we've caught up well. Uh, always a joy to have you on the show. And think about all those show ideas. Uh, get me in touch with your agent. Maybe we could sit down and figure out what's the, the right path to follow here as we, as we move forward. Danny, it was real and it was fun, but it wasn't real fun. <laughs> that comes when we see each other again, my friend. Is that R-E-E-L? Mm. Um, all right, there he goes. Connor Orr, uh, thank you uh, to Connor for joining us. Uh, thank you for everyone for listening to us. And remember, a reminder here. Uh, that uh, every Saturday, our new show <clears throat> that we're on on NFL Network, uh, Pick'em. N- NFL Pick'em. NFL Pick'em. Uh, you can check out your local listings mm. and check us out on that. And, of course, check out the Around the NFL podcast three times a week. You can also, you know, give us a review on iTunes. 
star oh, yeah, comment. Doing that. It's good. That's it for today's show. This is Dan Hansen signing off for uh, the Sizzler, the Mailman, the Boss, and La Cid behind the glass till Thursday. purpose of evolution is to pull us out of the mud, not to wallow <laughs> in it. Wow. Chris Wesling. This guy. There's your Easter egg. This guy's <laughs> fired up. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R.